two yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, welcome in, golf friends, to another episode of the Preferred Lines podcast. Uh, welcome back to your weekly golf gambling club meeting. We are 10 days away from the Masters, but we still have an event to cover this week. We're excited to cover the Valero Texas Open. Um, this is a golf betting podcast. If it's your first time stopping in, thank you. Uh, like, subscribe, do all the things if you enjoy the show. Um, if you're an old listener, make sure to say hello in the comments. I love seeing you guys back in here. Um, looking forward very much so to this week and sort of a final prep for uh, for the biggest major championship that even the most highly anticipated that I can remember with all the storylines coming into next week. Um, first, before we get started, got to shout out Fantasy Golf Pod. My boys, Chad, Jish, Eric over there um, have the program on Wednesdays. They had the first look DFS show earlier today. They've been bringing on a ton of great guests, extremely knowledgeable and, and like fun content. Like that's what we all kind of go for fun and entertaining you need to check them out at Fantasy Golf Pod. Give them a follow. Okay, uh, I've got a guest that I'm going to bring into the show right now that I'm extremely excited to talk to. He was one of the original OG guests of Preferred Lines back in the day. Um, a big, grand welcome back in Ryan Ballingy. What's up, man? Owner of Golf News Net. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me on again. I can, I can remember tipping Adam Scott for some reason, and I was at... Uh, Primlin Resort when we did the show and that 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 left a that left an impression all these years later. I was gonna say I remember you being on the road and you had like just gotten in, you threw your AirPods in, but we really appreciated you uh making some time for us as we kind of just started off the show. It speaks to like a lot of your character and there's so many new shows popping up and Ryan, you've got all kind of new things I want you to talk about for a second over at Golf News Net going on sort of on the radio side, which is really cool and interesting. Speak a little on that. So at the end of 2022, we launched Golf News Net Radio, which is a first of its kind, free to access 24-7 golf talk station. Uh, we launched in January iHeart with their primary partner for this. So we have it on iHeart for our U.S., Canadian, and parts of Australia friends. We have it on TuneIn for our, everybody else because uh, you can't listen to iHeart outside those geographies. And we run about 40 different shows on the station. And like I said, it's a 24-7 feed. So all kinds of different programming covering golf betting, fantasy golf, topics of the tour, golf travel, I mean, equipment, you name it. We have something about it probably on Golf News Net Radio. Yeah, absolutely. You were mentioning to me 40 shows going on right now. Make sure you give that a follow if you have the iHeartRadio app. But Ryan, one of the things like I was extremely have always been sort of impressed by you is how well rounded a lot of the content is like you're able to cover the gambling stuff and the fantasy stuff um, with a good bit of knowledge and insight. But you're also able to sort of have a deep understanding from your time, even back at Golf Channel. On the media side, and you're a really good player as well. So you understand the equipment and a lot of the course architecture. So um, a lot of different areas and a lot of multiple hats, which I think has been part of the reason why Golf Newsnet uh, has kind of found it, its place and, and been a real big success. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I'm truly a golf geek. I mean, I, I live, eat, sleep, breathe it, you know, and I, I love so much about it. And, and that does kind of inform what I think about 
when I talk about golf betting and, and fantasy golf and having some facets of knowledge about that. But uh, there's also so many great people that create content, yourself included, about golf gambling, golf betting these days that I learn from you guys. So it, it's a very nice cycle to be able to kind of put ideas out in the space, hear other people's ideas and, and learn from each other. And, and hopefully we get better cash and tickets that way. Yeah, absolutely. As someone who's covered golf for so long and been so entrenched in the game, how do you feel about the possibility of no match play event in the future on the PGA Tour schedule? Does that bother you a little bit? It does. It makes me sad. I mean, yeah, me too. I, I love this one week of, of a year. I wish there were two or three of them, to be honest with you. I'd love there to be like a team match play event like the USGA four ball is. Hmm. But we, we don't have that. And this one going away kind of hurts. Uh, from a betting perspective, it's fun to have. 18 whole matches to really bet on that means something. They're a little different than your two ball or your three ball in the same group on, on a Thursday or Friday to have the opportunity to have these one-on-one showdown. I mean, we have probably the best semifinal foursome we've ever had in the tournament. It's last year, which, Hey, that's kind of weird after 25 years to finally get a really good one, but to have that and then close the door on it, at least for the foreseeable future is pretty sad. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, Really enjoyed it this week. You mentioned um, from a betting side, um, I think it's fascinating. You get the extra day, you get individual matchups, and even in a lot of like the daily head-to-head matchup offerings that they have, um, a lot of times you'll get two guys who are three groups apart, one tees off earlier, one's later. So to just have two guys square off where it's no longer so much about the course, it's about the opponent, right? And yeah. It just brings a different element to the game. I would love, like, I think the one thing that they, they they worry about, obviously, is do you lose interest on Sunday when there's only two groups, which is viable. Um, it makes some sense, but it it's kind of like, I worry about the spot on the schedule for it. I think that if they were to bring it back, I have always longed for the idea that creating some sort of added element, whether it be the tour championship or an increased level of importance and finality, I think the tour championship would be great. It's part of the reason why we don't lose interest necessarily in the final four. Now we have this whole bracket. There's so, you know, Thursday and Friday are crazy, but we're so interested in the final four because of the finality of it. And you lose and your season's over. I think yeah. if you incorporate some of that in golf where you lose the match play event and you're out, your season's over with this new scheduling changes. And with these guys not really playing in the fall, like Rory makes an early exit. We're not going to see him till January. I think that that part of it kind of will bring in additional interest and make it more important than just winning a big check on Sunday. It could be ultimately winning the tour championship, which I think could help keep eyeballs compelled on the television throughout, you know, there only being two matches on the course. Yeah. I mean, the tour's pushback is always, well, we play stroke play every week of the year, but one. So yeah. why would we have match play to, to determine our, our champion? And I get that, mm-hmm. but I would still love to see, and I, and I pose this on one of my shows, take, instead of having 64 players in a match play event, have 32 and have like the top 24 in the world, and then eight from the FedEx Cup, otherwise not in the designated events next year, let's say. Let them battle it out. And it's single elimination. I mean, the round robin thing is nice, but single elimination, make it mean something. Four days, let's go. And if you win or if you get in the top four, so you get a huge benefit if you're not in the uh, in the designated events already. Or, or right. make it like 
Highlander style. Like if, if you get taken out, you're out of the designated events for a while. Or I don't know. Something that can have, like you said, real consequences, real meaning for your season, not just, okay, I didn't win three million bucks this week. I won a quarter million dollars or something. Yeah, the evolution of the PGA Tour schedule continues to be have some unknowns. There continues to be evolution just in the game in general, Ryan. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I know you've been pretty vocal on Twitter, but I want you to sort of vocalize this on the show about the changes to the golf ball. What kind of impact that's going to have? Rory, I was so interested to hear his. He's so thoughtful when he speaks. So I listened to some of the clips of him on No Laying Up, and I saw the quote initially, and I'm like, He's full of shit, basically, was my initial reaction. Like, he'll, if there's $4 million on the line, he's not going to like let Scotty Scheffler outdrive him by 35 yards on every hole. He's not. Um, but I listened to it, and it's just interesting the thought that he puts into things and the fact that he realized that this was going against the grain. And many of the players that he's friends with and that he's bonded with this last year in terms of. Um, this PGA Tour force, and we all got to sort of group together and do what's best for the PGA Tour. It's interesting. He's kind of the lone voice out on this island that I've heard so far. What are your thoughts on the possible ball rollback? I mean, I've been for a rollback for 20 years, which is frightening really? to say. And going back to 2003, and I've gotten into, I've had probably every argument with every person you could have on this, whether it's from folks at Titleist, the USGA. Which, I mean, their old technical director, Dick Ruggie, and I used to have conversations back and forth, and he was very much anti-rollback, didn't, didn't see the need for it. Uh, and it, we've had this discussion over the years, and I, I had always thought about it at the beginning as, okay, well, the, the big change was when we went from a wound ball to a solid core golf ball. And that was huge. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that was 12 to 14 yards of distance overnight. But in the last, let's say, 10, 12 years, a lot of those distance gains have been much more, you know, smaller. We've had years where actually distance has gone down just a touch, like 2007 is an example. But I think a lot of the distance gains in recent memory are because of different pieces of equipment that are better, maybe better driver heads. They're more forgiving across the face. So that means you're going to get more average distance just out of better performing equipment on mishits. Mm -hmm. shafts are better i mean they're incredibly better than they were even 10 years ago much less 15 20 years ago uh, it, it's amazing what you can do with a shaft these days and then you've got efficiencies from knowing data i mean data about strokes gained and shotlink has taught us that laying up in the fairway is not as good as hitting it far and in, in the in slightly in the rough everyone knows that now tiger and vj knew that in the early 2000s and mopped up because they weren't afraid to hit foul balls well, now everyone knows that. So they play golf a little bit differently and a little bit more fearlessly because the statistics are on their side. And then we've got every kind of efficiency that you can gain from TrackMan and launch monitor usage. You know your swing. You know how to dial in your swing to certain launch conditions. And that's worth a good half dozen yards per player. So there's a lot of little pieces in why people are 20, 25 yards longer than they used to be. And you can't blame it all on the golf ball. And I, I wrote about this probably four years ago, five years ago, retrying the whole case of how if you're going to try to roll back the golf ball, what would you be rolling back? And what the number I really came to was about 12 to 14 yards. Well, that's exactly what the USGA is proposing, 12 to 14 yards. It could be a little bit more for some players, could be a little bit less for others, depending on your, your swing profile, your launch profile. But that's what I want. And if that's what... 
they have to do maybe once in a generation to kind of keep acreage at bay. Water is a really important resource. It's going to be more and more scarce over time. The USGA has put a lot of time and effort into developing grasses that require less water use and can look good brown and work well. So it kind of, it all fits together. It's not just necessarily about making golf courses play to their true length or their true architecture, although although that's obviously a big piece of the argument. But I think Rory's got a point that depending on what the majors do, you could have a ball for the Masters, U.S. Open, PGA, and Open. We used to have a ball for just for the Open, by the way. It used to be the small ball. <laughs> and that was a different diameter than every other week yeah. of the year on the PGA Tour. <laughs> so you could have four separate major championship balls, and you could have a PGA Tour ball. So do you want to learn five balls, or do you want to learn one ball? And so I think that's kind of the point Rory's making is let's just consolidate this whole thing. Agree to disagree with the USGA if you don't like it, but just get on board and deal with it. You know, it's really interesting because I had never as a very much an amateur who picked up golf after college and have gotten super into it over the last 15 years. Um, I went to get a club fitting. So I went to get my irons fitted. This is about three weeks ago. Got a new set, picked out the heads, got the shaft right. And I think I'm like done, Ryan. And the guy's like, okay, now let's do the ball fitting. Yeah. So literally, depending on the ball was the biggest, almost the biggest difference that I was seeing many times in terms of numbers was based on the ball that I was hitting. Like I could go from a 60 to a 60, whatever shaft you'd put in. And I'd maybe see like two or three yards difference. And this one was more consistent. But the ball, the difference in like, are you in favor? How would they work this? So is there going to be just one, like a PGA Tour stamp ball that they hand everyone a couple of sleeves on the first tee and they're like, here's your golf balls, just like they have the NBA balls out there next to the court, just like they have NFL footballs inspected by the refs and handed to them before the game? Or are players, do you envision still going to be able to play a Titleist or a Srixen and they're all just versions of the exact same ball made by these different brands. How do you see that playing out? I, I think it's going to be the latter. I think you're still going to have all these manufacturers make the Pro V1 rolled back or the Tour BX rolled back or, or mm -hmm. name your manufacturer just slightly rolled back. Uh, a number of them already have patents for slightly rolled back balls because about 15, almost 18 years ago, the USGA asked the manufacturers to, to make a version of a rolled back ball. So they could try it out in these one-off tournaments. They played them in Canada, um, I think around 2008, maybe 2009, they tried them just to kind of see what it, what that world would look like. They didn't go that direction at the time. Um, so that's my guess, is that's the way they'll go about it. But a, a, a friend who's not in golf brought up a really interesting idea to me, thinking about the NBA, thinking about rolling space balls, thinking about NHL yeah. and kind of standardized pucks. What if the PGA Tour said, hey, we're going to have open bidding, and we will let you become the official ball of the PGA Tour if you're willing to pay $150 million a year mm -hmm. to be that ball. Would Titleist just jump at the chance, dump all of their contract players and say, we'll pay the fee, if, but everyone has to play a Titleist. Yeah. And then the PGA Tour doles out the money based on whatever metric they choose. I could see a world where that happens because, mm -hmm. I mean, Bridgestone and Srixon and TaylorMade and, and Callaway, they all have really important ball business to their retail customer. But at the end of the day, would it mean that much to them to not be able to have a ball on the PGA Tour? 
if they just said, hey, Titleist, you pay, if you pay enough, we'll get out of your way and we will just market directly to the consumer. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know. So do you think in terms of being in favor of a rollback for so long, are you in favor of a rollback for professional use only or a rollback across the board? Do you, did you have a difference between the two? I'm for the bifurcation. I'm for separate official separate rules between pros and amateurs because really we don't play the same game. Yes. I mean, I, I, I like the myth that we play the same game. We don't <laughs> play the same game. I mean, they've got protos we'll never see between balls and heads. They get fit so well. I mean, they have shafts made specifically for them. Yeah, they do play some. A lot of tour pros, pros play off the shelf Pro Vs or TPXs or I mean, you name your ball, and, and that's fine too. But they're so much better at golf than we're ever going to be and have access to so much stuff that can make them more dialed in than we could ever be that it's totally okay. If we play equipment that makes us marginally better that they aren't allowed to play because they'll figure it out. We won't. Right. Um, I get all the points you're making there. I think a lot of them are extremely valid. I wanted to ask you real quickly as we lead into the masters and the storylines, um, about the live event this week in Orlando. So are you familiar with the course at all Orange County National? Is this this is where they have the PGA show? Is that correct? They do. They have the demo day there on Tuesday of PGA show week. And actually, I was just there almost three weeks ago. I played both courses uh, on a family golf trip. So we've gone there each of the last two years and, and played both courses. Okay. So they are playing what? The Crooked Cat? Is that right? That's right. The Panther okay. Lake is the other one. So I feel like there, I feel like in my world, this was kind of like the last course that they kind of figured out for live this season. It felt like they were looking at some place. I want to say the Pelican course over on the West coast or something. They wanted a place in Florida, right? Which I get. Yeah. Um, and it felt like this was kind of thrown together. Is this, is it a decent preparation for Augusta national? Is it anything like it? Cause the website says there's elevation changes, but I'm like, man, this is central Florida. They can't get Augusta national <laughs> elevation in Orlando. I mean, there, there is some elevation change. I will give them that this, I mean, it's not as close to Orlando as they might bill it as they're closer right. to more like Davenport, which does have some rolling Hills it used to be kind of orange groves and, and farmland. And so there is some land movement there. But not like Augusta National, not not to that degree, except for a couple places, a couple tee shots, maybe. But other than that, no, not really. Um, I mean, this this course has these courses have hosted Corn Ferry Tour Q School, PJ Tour Q School when it was PJ Tour Q School, and they lit it up. I mean, 24, 25, 27 under one, but those were six round events, four round events, depending on the tour and, and the year. So I, I, they're going to crush it. I mean, they're just going to destroy it unless the wind howls. But that doesn't necessarily. I'm. I was thinking the same thing. How did this come together? Why here? And from what I had heard, same thing you've probably heard is they wanted something in Florida because so many of their players are based there. They needed something before the Masters because their players otherwise would have been upset that they'd have to go three weeks without a tournament and leading into the first major of the year. So they put something together, and this is what they got. So I guess something is better than nothing, and it's not like it's wall to wall fairway and there's you know no bunkers and everything's flat but it's not going to be a particularly good challenge compared to what they're going to see the next week understood um in terms of like fairway with is so the other course it appears there as of like a week ago we're still selling tea times at do they are they 
are we going to have guys like me, Ryan, who are hitting the ball like in front, like into DJ and Cam's group on the next fairway over? Are they? Is there enough separation there where they can actually host a legitimate event? In your opinion? Yeah. So the Crooked Cat, at least a, a lot of the course, so the front nine and eighteen and ten are all on one side of the road, and then the Panther Lake course is all on the other side, and then. Separate from the Panther Lake is 11 through 17. So there's no chance they're going to interact, at least golf-wise. But I, I don't know if they're going to sell the tee times at Panther Lake during the week. Sounds like they might. And if they do, I, I think they're going to have to like stage carts like across the street. And that's where you start anyway. So it'll be fine. But okay. if they do sell the tee times for Panther Lake, it's going to be really weird to have professional golfers yeah. on one course and – regular people on the other i mean they, and they do that for like the lpga's tour championship at tiburon they sell yeah. the other golf course to people who want to play at members yep. while the tournament's going on so i guess it's not that different than that but the pga tour would never let that happen under any circumstance yeah um i know that they have like at honda they have a charity event at the palmer course that goes on but there's so much separation there so that you far really away yeah, you really don't interact. All right, let's talk about the Oaks course, TPC San Antonio. I'm going to give my sort of course notes here and course preview, and then you tell me if you kind of have anything to add. Um, Greg Norman design, ironically, uh, <laughs> with consultation from fellow liver Sergio Garcia. So Norman Garcia influence on the design. Um, you're likely to um, divulge from that that solid ball striking is often rewarded here. Um, also known as the Charlie Hoffman Open. Failed last year to make the cut for the first time in 16 starts at this event. So we'll see. I know that he was a late add to this field as an alternate. So he's back in. We'll see how that goes. Winners over the last 10 years have averaged a betting price of 124 to 1. So we've seen some favorites like Spieth. We've seen plenty of long shots hit here. Seven of the last 10, interestingly, were not previously qualified for the Masters before getting in. So that is a big point of motivation. Think Ricky Fowler. Think Matt Kuchar. These guys that are all they play for and they have dreams of Augusta National and especially Kuchar and stuff like that. There's an additional meaning this week and you can kind of see that play out in some of the motivation in recent champions. Um, no distinct like memory bank holes on this course for me, really. I mean, I know they have the one with the sort of the sand in the middle of the green, but there's just not a lot of... Uh, things that make it unique. The fairways are average. The green sizes are average. Um, yeah. 7,400 yards. It's not overly long. It's, it's sort of a poet trivialis mixed greens. The winds can be crazy the one year. And as in Texas, they're always very unpredictable, but they can absolutely howl and ruin people in a certain wave as we've seen in the past. Haven't seen much of that this week. Solid around the green game I always look for in Texas in terms of having a chance to actually win the golf tournament. Um, you have to be able to putt. You have to be able to get up and down. Um, having said that, Spieth was a wizard as we, two years ago. You know, it's always around the green. But J.J. Spawn, like, guys can randomly have a good around the green week, Ryan. That aren't yep. good. Like, Spawn is pretty good, but last week he was – or last year, I'm sorry, before he won, he gained almost four strokes around the green when he won last year. The four events prior to that, he was getting crushed around wow. the green. So it can come out of nowhere. Um, approach shot distribution, I noticed on data golf, 75 to 125 yard shots. So those wedge shots 
over 20% of the approach shots come from that sort of proximity bucket, which is healthily above sort of the PGA Tour average. Those are kind of my notes on the course. Do you have anything to add here? It's not that exciting of an event for me from a course architecture perspective. Yeah, I mean, from memorable whole perspective is probably the homage to the par three at Riviera with the, the yeah. bigger bunker in the middle of the green and a bigger green. Okay, fine. Um, a, a lot of holes that I think of because of that 75 to 125 bump in percentage, it feels like there are three or four holes that are like 340 to 400 that there's really nothing in your way to stop you from hitting driver. And then you leave a flip wedge, whether you want to hit a three wood or a driver. And there's just shot after shot after that on this golf course. Um, I think about Kevin Nas, what, 16 or whatever it is. And then the other shot I think about is Aaron Baddeley once hit one out of bounds and then on his next shot. So he was hitting three, hold it on a par four. So he made birdie, wow. even though he made a hole in one, which is I don't wild. remember that. I, I don't even remember what year it was, but I remember Golly. seeing a hole. I don't even remember what triggered me to it, but wild stuff. So, I mean, you can definitely make some low scores on this course, but it always seems to kind of stand up pretty well in the low teens. Again, wind could howl, can really hurt you. I, I think you don't have to be a good putter to win on this course. I always look at kind of the distribution of strokes gained uh, in a top 25 in the event over maybe like a five-year period. And this one has some of the lowest percentage of putting relative to other strokes gained versus any other course on the PGA Tour. Quail Hollow is maybe one of the other ones that comes to mind. So you you got to be a good ball striker, which opens the door for a Spawn or a Corey Connors or, yeah. I mean, beats the Wizard. Anything can happen. But think about the guys who have won this tournament in the last 10 years. I mean, Steve Bowditch won this tournament for crying out loud. Right. So, I mean, you don't necessarily have to be a good putter to win here. You've just got to be better than probably you normally are putting and chipping and keep that ball striking. You got a chance. And I think that's why so many bombs can win here. All right. I'm going to pull up the board. Let's look at some players. All right. This week, Top of the odds board. Let me scroll up a little bit, but I already know who it is. It's Tyrrell Hatton is 13 to 1 at FanDuel. That's the best number you can get. 12 to 1 pretty unanimously everywhere else. Ricky Fowler, Ryan, in the fall, you would have called me crazy if I told you Ricky Fowler was going to be second on the odds board in an event in the end of March. Um, but here we are. He's 20 to 1. He's playing fantastic. Corey Connors is 22 to 1, an ex champion here. Siwoo Kim, 22 to 1. Davis Riley has won a Corn Ferry Tour event at this course, um, is 28 to 1. Taylor Montgomery, 28. Hideki at 29. I'm going to stop and pause right there, Ryan. Um, thoughts on the top of the board? The Ricky Fowler redemption arc is real, man. I mean, I I, I remember, I think I tweeted some, at some fall event, you know, Ricky's on the comeback trail. Of course, no there's doubt. always always divisive. Oh, well, he's never going to be good again, or he's totally going to do it. And here he is. He's second favorite to win the week before the Masters. I, I mean, I could see it happening. He does have – he can have a low ball flight. Uh, he obviously has a very good short game. He's become a better ball striker. So all those things seem warranted. Siwoo Kim stands out to me as a guy who has been deceptively consistent the last eight times out, been in the top 27, six of the eight. For him, that's ridiculously consistent, so that, that's pretty good. And then Taylor Montgomery just stands out to me as a guy who seems like he should be heading toward a win any day now. You just pick the tournament. 
but he's also third on the PGA Tour in strokes game putting, and that doesn't really fit the profile of this golf course. So they, they would kind of butt heads a little bit there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with a lot of the things you said there. Siwoo Kim is interesting. I have not bet Siwoo yet, but he is the one that I would be considering most up in yeah. this range. Um, the ball striking numbers, he's always been a flusher, but he's on a fantastic run right now. Fourth in the last 36 rounds in terms of strokes game, ball striking. Number one in a stat over on Fantasy National that I like to look at, Ryan, called opportunities gained. It's basically... Um, giving how many putts does the guy have within 15 feet is he giving himself no matter make or miss he's number one right now so he's giving himself the opportunities in fifth in bogey avoidance so he's not making bogeys he's giving himself a ton of great looks at birdie um it just seems like things are still trending in a positive direction for siwoo i thought about davis riley montgomery was another one who i was very high on last week it's interesting that he goes from He's one of these guys that just flies up and down the odds board that I've noticed. Like I can think of like Matt Wolf when Wolfie was playing on the PGA Tour. Like Wolfie would have a couple of good weeks and all of a sudden he'd be like 28, 30 to one and he'd have a couple of bad weeks and he'd be 150 to one. That's kind of what Mo like Montgomery was 125 last week. Now he's like the fifth guy on your odds board. Uh, you're right. Awesome putter. I worry about some of the wedge distances with him. Um, yeah, I thought about Corey as well, but Montgomery isn't really solid. I have him 125th in that sort of wedge proximity range, which isn't great. Um, but you're a little bit about Hideki. Do you have any insight here? Um, obviously, the withdrawal last week, he's been dealing with this nagging neck injury a week before going back to Augusta National. Um, is a withdrawal concern for you this week? And how do you factor that in when sort of building out a betting card? Yeah, I mean, it does bother me. And that's kind of, I mean, one of the biggest reasons for me to stay away from Tyrrell Hatton. I mean, I, I loved him going into yeah. the match play. And then obviously that all those tickets got lit on fire immediately. So, you know, do I like him now for the Masters? I, I already have one in hand. Do I want to bet him more? Because maybe people think he, he won't recover in time. Same thing with the decky. I mean, if you really like a decky, you, you should love him this week because he's a great ball striker. But that's got to be in the back of your mind that he's injured. And so maybe you think about him as a live play and maybe you're willing to sacrifice some of your, your upfront value for maybe let's see a round, Let, let's see nine holes. Let's see something that maybe if you like what you're seeing, then you go and play him. But by then you're going to get probably half your value at best on him. So I, I think it's hard for me to kind of get on board because we don't have an injury list in golf. We've never had one. So right. we don't really know what injured means and what that, what that means for performance until after the fact. And then you go, oh, now we get it. So I'm always kind of reluctant to bet on a guy you know withdrew last week because you don't know the extent of their injuries. Absolutely. And there's some that are – are there's some players that I feel like will willingly just give out information, not necessarily as an excuse, but they'll almost give you too much. Like, ah, oh, my neck's hurting today, and we'll all freak out, and we'll all go, oh, my God, his shoulder's sore. What's going to – and he's fine. And then there's other guys who won't tell you anything, and something is really kind of going on. Sometimes you get the illness – withdraws which we never really know about but you're right in the fact of no injury report i'll probably stay away my first bet on the board is in this sort of next meat and potatoes range i like chris kirk um 31 is chris kirk gonna win twice in like a month it's unlikely but i don't want to i don't i hate when we put that win and we we think about it from a perspective like the candles blown out as my boy chad used to say like he's done like it happened um, no other sport do we apply that same logic to. Like, if the Patriots roll off four straight wins, we're not like they can't possibly win a fifth, right? right. Um, 
Kirk's playing fantastic. His around the green game is always very sharp and phenomenal. I like him here in the last four years. He has two top eight finishes at this event. The Honda and the Valero have kind of been in his wheelhouse. He won the Honda. I look, he was the, he was this number at the Honda this year, like 30 to one. I don't think the field's that much different. This might actually be a worse field. If Hatton or Hideki withdraw one of those two players, this is a worse field than we got at the Honda at a guy who's shown that he can win. Um, I'm going to kind of run it back and hope Chris Kirk can get it done at 31 to one. Yeah. I think the only reasons you might be concerned are that he didn't play well, the players and they didn't play well, the match play, but I think we can selectively decide whether you like the results of those two tournaments for certain players, but they're weird tournaments. Like the players trouble is everywhere and you don't really have to play that poorly to score poorly. And the match plays its own animal. So if you just kind of shed those things to the side, which I think you can make the case that you can, then Chris Kirk is right in that range. Exactly. The field that Honda has on a golf course that he likes. Absolutely bettable. There are some, some, interesting like storylines in this range matt kuchar's 33 to 1 all the everything in the world to play for like i mentioned jj spawn defending champ who played really well at match play last week 34 to 1 ryan fox man was i impressed with him at match play i'm slower to get around to these sort of guys who play predominantly on the european tour but was so impressed with him alex norton's been good ben griffin like how can you not be Ben Griffin, it felt like during the fall, it was like, this is going to be one of those guys that gets hot for two or three starts, and then we kind of don't hear from him again. Um, he's got staying power. Cam Davis has kind of made a little bit of resurgence at 50-1. Yep. to 1. Matt Wallace obviously got the win last week at 50-1. to 1. Nikolai Hogard, who was winning in Corrales, is there at 50-1. to 1. Any bets in this range that, that, you, uh, that you fancy? I, I do like Ryan Fox a lot. I mean, he hits the ever-living crap out of the ball and just has changed his game mentally so much in the last 12, 14 months from a guy who I, th I think didn't think he could do it and then realized he could, uh, given the way that he plays golf. And he's so close to special temp temporary membership that even if he doesn't win this week, he can, he can get a lot of benefits from playing well. So he has a motivation to play well. Griffin, I mean... I know he was going to be outclassed at the match play. It's just weird for, for a guy that's shot up so much to get into that event all of a sudden and then be just thrown to the wolves. So I think you can forgive that week. Cam Davis, like you said, has, has kind of clawed it back a little bit, which has been really interesting. You just scroll down to Thomas Dietrich, who's a guy I'm borderline obsessed with. I feel like he Tell should win any day now. And he's got all the guys who did well in Punta Cana, uh, except for like Sam Stevens are all 45 or 50 to one, basically depending on where you shop. So whatever you thought the value of last week was, apparently it's about the same for everybody who finished in the top five. So Dean has been playing great. And then the next name I actually really like a lot too, Aaron Rye. This, this fits him. He is a good ball striker. Eh, not the best in some other stuff, but he fits the, the model of a guy who wins here. Not too long, hits it well, maybe as an above average short game putting week. He's a winner. I, I could I could very much see him winning this week. What do you do? You okay? Mindset and like how you prepare for an event standpoint. What is there any benefit do you think from the guys continuing to play through an event like Corrales? That's standard PGA Tour seventy two holes. You have a guy like Dietrich. You have a guy like Wallace who was out there and doing it in a stroke play event versus the shift to a match play style and then shift right back to something like Valero where. Um, you're not trying to pull off every shot when you hit one out of bounds and trying to make par somehow. Sometimes bogey is a good score. 
anything to that or are these guys good enough where they're easily going to adapt very quickly? That's a really interesting point. I've thought about that at times, not necessarily in the context of Punta Cana, but that you didn't qualify in the first place for match play, whether you played the opposite field event or you're just, this is your, your preparation or last chance saloon for the masters. I, I don't, I mean, think about the guys who have won here in recent memory and you've got spawn, you've got, you know, Spieth was trying to come back for some nasty stuff. You had yeah. Corey Connors in there. I, I mean, those guys weren't, I mean, Corey Connors Monday qualified for crying out loud. So yeah. think about the guys who have won here and you're going down the list. You got Andrew Landry, Kevin Chapel, Charlie. Hall. None of these guys are screaming guys that just went and played the match play. So yeah. there may be something to that of, Hey, you just played. And even if you got deep enough in the match play to get to the knockout rounds, you still played close to 54 holes, regardless of the first three days, you're probably tired. And if you played like crap, you're tired and you played bad. So that that's probably not a winning combination. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to move a little bit down the odds board because there's another guy that I like. I want to see what the best number is. Okay. I was looking at previous champs, Ryan. I don't know if you can see this little uh, pennant that I have right over my finger here, Kent State University. So you mentioned Corey Connors. You go back to 2012, Ben Curtis. Ben Curtis actually worked in the Kent State University golf shop when I was an employee there. I was washing carts when I was 16 years old. So I knew Ben very well. There's another guy at 70 to one. I love Taylor Pendrith this week. I think that he's the best value on your odds board. When I go back to that corn Ferry start that I saw mentioned that Davis Riley won, which was at the Oaks course, Corey Connors finished, I believe third. Um, there was also an event at the Canyons course at TPC San Antonio. Now this was, um, at the same resort, different course, obviously, yep. but Hendricks finished second in that event. 70 to one, I feel like is awesome. I feel like he's played really good on some shorter courses, actually. Mm -hmm. RSM, Pebble, things where you're really not like stepping on the gas of his biggest weapon, which is driver. But that still is a weapon that he has in his bag. And when he's able to deploy some of the short game and some of the wedge work that he was able to on those shorter courses with a place where he can kind of bomb it without regard for total chaos. There's a few holes like that, like you mentioned, as long as he doesn't go full Kevin Na. Um, he played well last week in Corrales, well enough for me. I think 70 to 1 uh, makes a lot of sense as a potential breakthrough spot for Pendrith here. Yeah, fully agree. I was on him last week at, at Punta Cana. Obviously, didn't quite work out as, as I might have hoped holding that ticket. But if you think about the way to play this golf course, you don't necessarily have to be long to win here. And so you think, okay, well, Pendrith being a long guy is a bad thing. But you're gonna set, he's going to set himself up to have wedge shots that are basically flicks of the wrist for him all week long, as long as he keeps it in play, which means you're going to have chances inside 25 feet, inside 20 feet, 15 feet. That's the makeable range. And I think that's exactly playing into his hand. So I, I really do love Taylor Pendrith this week. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's it's over 74. Or 7,400 yards, which is still a long golf course, which still yeah. to me, it doesn't scream RSM. It doesn't scream Honda. It doesn't scream Pebble. Um, driver can absolutely still be a weapon. And if he's. But there are also wind courses, which yeah. we can have that here. So you could see that playing in, into it too. Yep. Great par five score. You got to get that done here. He's, he's 12th in the field. Um, anything, Ryan, I'll just kind of open it up from this point in terms of a long shot that you like. I mentioned we've seen it happen historically at this event. Um, you know, the Brandon Wu is playing well. Will Gordon is there. We've been looking for a breakthrough. Anyone kind of stick out to you in this sort of like triple digit long shot bomb range? 
First of all, is Will Gordon going by William now? Because I've seen that three times this week that he is he's going by William Gordon. Is is that something changed? I don't know. This might just be odds checker, or it could be like you a Matt, Matthew today. I thought William situation. Gordon. I was very confused. Is he going? Is he like JB Holmesing his name to be like William, and maybe that, or like Willie versus Will Wilcox? I, I don't know, but um, but we do might I, get, I, we might get Billy Gordon here soon? Before we know. <laughs> I, you do have Patton Kazira up. He kind of interests me this week, hmm. um, and then Kevin Streelman also interests me. If you want to be be like an old school horse for course play, even though most of his best work is way far behind him. Um, but he did play well at Pebble, a course that he has historically played very well at. And then you're scrolling past Akshay Batia and Sam Stevens. I think both those guys are very interesting. Sam Stevens played very well last week at Corrales. He modeled out really well. Akshay Batia did not model out as well. But then you, you've got three guys who are a, a lot of interest or part of the storyline at, at Corrales, you got Austin Eckroad in there as well, who played very well too. Uh, so if you want to look in that range, I, I think you can justify that because the top of the board, like we've talked about, we've got a guy in Hatton who's probably hurt. We've got Matsuyama who's probably hurt. We've got a couple of guys who are probably just playing this to satisfy getting ready for the Masters or the one and four requirement. So you've got a whole lot of players at the top of the board that don't have a motivation to win, and there are plenty that do too. But I, I think you can get in this 150, 175 range, depending on where you go shopping, and you could find yourself a, a pick that you could commit yourself of very easily. Yeah, one that I actually like, Ryan, um, and I don't normally bet this guy because he's extremely volatile, but I've been noticing some signs uh, of an increase in some of his strokes gain numbers. Garrick Higgo's 125 yeah. to one who I took. Um, off the tee, he's gained strokes in six of his last eight starts. On approach, he's gained strokes in six of the last eight starts. Around the green, six of the last eight starts. I know that he went through, and I'm not sure the coaching, but there was some sort of swing and coaching change where he yep. wasn't happy, and he seems to really sort of be settling into a little bit of form on a guy who we saw win multiple times on the European Tour within a season. We saw him come right in and win at Congaree. Um, it's sort of a wide open course there in South Carolina. So um, I kind of have a little bit of interest at 125 to one. And the other, the, the, all right, let's talk about Charlie Hoffman. Is there anything there for you? Like, are you a horse for a course guy where you're saying, look, this is just his spot. I don't care what the numbers tell me. I don't care how bad he's playing. You got to play Chucky Hoffman at the Charlie Hoffman Open. I, I can't bet him to win. I mean, yeah, it's just, me so bad. I, I, I can, I can support a top 10. I could even support a top five, but I, I can't support a win ticket on Charlie Hoffman. I mean, the, yeah. the guy had a T-shirt made with all of his money that he's won in this tournament. Yeah. And he is like <laughs> a one-of-one T-shirt. So, so, I mean, I know he's jacked up for this week, but it's really hard. To, I mean, unless you're trying to make like the Justin Rose case, like older guy wins the tournament and plays he played well in the past. Uh, I, I, no, I just can't. Last one I'm going to talk about just because he um, I run a stat model usually every week and every now and then it will spit out something that just doesn't make sense. So this guy rated out number two in the entire field in my stat model and it's Joseph Bramlett. Um, I don't know how he did it. It's the wedge ranges really, I think, because he's fifth in 75 to 100 top 10 also in 100 to 125. And he's just not really losing strokes in any of the other places that I was looking in terms of ball striking off the tee, scrambling, just all around pretty solid. Um, just any any over overall thoughts there on on Bramlett? 
I've liked him a couple of different times this year, and it, it hasn't worked out, obviously, but right. the potential is there, and he flashes it like five or six weeks of the year. More often than not, it's in the Corn Ferry Tour finals, but it, it, he has it. It's there within him. So I, I can actually see how that would rate out pretty well. It's worth five, ten bucks. I mean, if you win a lottery ticket, it pays tremendously well here this week. So why not? I, I can get behind that as a small. I, for this week, I love sprinkling on a lot of guys at longer shots because if you give, you know, whatever your standard unit is, if you take 10% of that unit and you hit a bunch of guys and one of them pays out, hey, you did really well for yourself. Um, and you kind of have a little, have some extra fun tickets that I think uh, Steve Hennessy or Chris Powers calls it. Yeah, look, it's one of the weeks where you can do that, right? And I've always yeah. kind of loved the long shots in golf and always been a proponent of, like, bet these guys. Like, I can remember so many of them are so vivid in my memory of, like, hitting someone 80 to 100 to 1 that you don't forget it, and it's what makes golf betting so unique. But I've really seen a shift, and I have to sort of adjust my strategy in this recent year. And I don't know if it's maybe, like, Part of me thinks that maybe Liv has sort of chopped this like B, B plus range, a lot of it out. And now you're going from like the top premier A level players to like a C. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but there's no doubt about it that we've seen more recently winners come from like 10, 12 to one than we have in the past five, six years easily as I can remember. Yeah, absolutely. And it does feel like if you're betting longer than 40 to one, you're setting yourself up for failure, but yeah. it really is fun to have that sweat. And we only get so many of these weeks of the year anymore with the designated system. So right. uh, Pearson Cootie was the last one I would mention. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's already won the corn Ferry tour this year. He is free up. He can do whatever he wants. He's going to get the PJ tour. What's five bucks on him. If, if he wins, you make what? It's one fifty to one get seven fifty in your pocket. Sounds lovely. And Sounds this lovely. might be one of the last times you have a chance to do this before like the middle of June. So Get into it. Yeah, I followed him a little bit just because I wanted to watch him at the Honda, and and it was impressive on a Friday what he did to really sort of his right. Yeah, um, awesome stuff, Ryan. I appreciate you coming on. I always enjoy talking to you. You're extremely insightful. Um, tell everyone where they can find some more of your content this week, and if you have anything big planned for Augusta National and Masters Week coming up. Yeah, we'll blow it out for the Masters. Uh, we've already run the kind of ten players who can win the master shout out to will haskett and the 1.5 strokes gain t to green average for the calendar year uh we already pointed those guys out so that's available for our members at golfnewsnet.com find me on twitter ryan balangy uh it's the easiest way to find me get a hold of me i'll talk to anybody anytime about golf betting otherwise whatever you want and uh yeah I, this is my favorite time of year thank you for inviting me on again this is great you're the man dude enjoy your night i appreciate you coming on hey thanks so much all right later but all right. Awesome to talk to Ryan, recurring guest of the show. Um, appreciate you guys for sticking along. Look, um, got a little too much sun yesterday, as you can see. Had a little pool day, um, but we powered through it. Uh, final thoughts this week is just how excited that I am for Augusta National. I know it's kind of a cheap shot, but um, it will be a Masters week unlike any other. I have an exciting announcement planned for next week. I have an exciting guest for this show. Uh, I'm going to be sort of launching something new for Preferred Lines that I'm really sort of excited about. The show will be the same. It's going to be 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Monday. You have to make sure to check that out. 
please, like if you got friends that are come for one week of the year and are like, hey, who do I bet for the Masters? Uh, have them check out my show. I would really appreciate it. Uh, I don't have the voice for everyone, but I like to think that some of you guys and Ted and G. Renge and Brian and the guys that are always here with me uh, hopefully enjoy that. So good luck at Valero. I hope that you hit a winner. I think it's going to be Taylor Pendrith uh, putting on those boots on Sunday. I'll see you guys next Monday for the Masters. Um, you're all the best like subscribe. This has been preferred lines podcast. Uh, I'm out of here. Hope you have a great night. Peace.